Good morning. Ba-da-ba-ba-bow. Does your team need to master AngularJS? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to ours, angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel, we have Lucas Rubelke. Hello from Westside Phoenix. Aaron Frost. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just want to give you a quick reminder to go check out jsremoteconf.com. Uh, we're having an online conference in February, so should be able to make it. I hope you can make it, so go check it out. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Dan Walleen. Hey, guys. Hello from the east side of uh, Phoenix. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Yeah, sure. So I live in uh, Chandler, Arizona, where it's a balmy 75 today, I think. We were just talking about that. Pretty nice. Yeah, he has to keep rubbing it in. I know, I know. I just can't <laughs> shut up about it. I'm, I'm pretty happy when the winter comes. Talk to me in the summer. It's a different story, but pretty <laughs> nice right now. I'm going to have yeah. to just to get even. <laughs> but yeah, I run a... Uh, a software consulting and training company based in Chandler, and uh, we do obviously a lot with AngularJS nowadays. In fact, I am currently on a project as we're speaking right now that the Angular part's working, but the backend piece is not working. So that's kind of what we do, though. And uh, yeah, I love the Angular stuff. Should have used Rails. Yeah, just just saying. <laughs> I'm happy to help you with that if you need. All right, you. I'll uh, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. All right. Well, so today's topic is structuring an AngularJS project or structuring the code in an AngularJS project. I'm a little curious because I'm somewhat new to AngularJS in the sense that I haven't built a gazillion projects with it yet. So most of the time I just wind up putting, you know, my controllers all in one file each and, you know, most of the other stuff in their own files. And, you know, I just kind of split them up according to what they are. And it seems like it makes sense to me. Is, Is there more to it than that? The framework kind of gives you a place to put stuff. Yep. So I'm wondering, you know, what is there beyond that that we need to think about? This is the subject of many religious battles, which I always laugh about, because if you're using Grunt or Gulp, which you should be using, to, uh, you know, minify your scripts and concatenate them, then ultimately it doesn't matter. So it all comes down to maintenance, you know, what you or your team, if you're on a team, is doing. And you kind of have three approaches that I know Lucas and Aaron and John has a lot on this as well out there. But, you know, the feature-based approach is what everyone preaches, which I like overall. The convention-based approach, which is, you know, organize your files, like you said. And I do like to put one per file, typically, and then, you know, concatenate them as appropriate with, I I like Gulp, personally. I think somebody just cried. Yeah. I, I, I won't go into why I like go better, but anyway, the, uh, third is what I call the blended approach. And that's what I actually do. The feature based approach, I think is great if everybody on the team understands the features well. But if you ever have to hire contractors or get new hires on your team or, you know, people are switching around or whatever, I think that approach actually can be a little trickier than most people think about if you're in the contracting world, like, like I am, or I know you are as well, Chuck. Mm-hmm. because you just don't know always who you're going to get. And then if there's no documentation, and of course everyone documents, I know, but you know, for those <laughs> of that... Of course. Yes. Sarcasm for those noted. That, <laughs> there's no sarcasm there. Come on. I've, I've taken over a few of those projects. The insincerity meter is off the charts, bro. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, the, well, the documentation is pick up the phone and call the last guy. That's right. 
That's right. And if the last guy's not around, then you spend your time trying to figure out, oh, people. Okay, well, what's in the people? And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that, but what I like to do is mix the two. So I like to organize by module. Can, can I back you up for a minute? What is the feature organization approach? So you said so, that, so that yeah, the yeah, one yeah. is the convention approach, and that's put all your controllers together, all your directives together, all of your modules together, blah, 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 yep. right? Your services together. Uh, so the other approach is... So the other approach is uh, figure out what are the key like major high-level features of your app and make folders for those. So if your app does something with invoices, you might have an invoices folder and you'd put your okay. you know, invoices views, invoices controllers, that type of stuff in there. Then you have you know, another folder for purchase orders. Maybe that's the feature of the app. And I, again, I'm, I'm actually very much in favor of that approach. The only thing I don't like is somebody has to come up with those names. And if you do work in a scenario where you're bringing on different contractors and things like that, or new hires or whatever. The tricky part is, does the name you thought made sense make sense to them for that feature? And uh, most of the time, I think it does. But what I like to do is kind of not only have the features, but also then I like convention. Uh, so I, I'm actually a big fan of convention. Uh, you probably are, Chuck. You mentioned some particular server-side framework that actually has some nice you know, conventions. Mm-hmm. So I like to do what I call the blended approach where I'll mix, you know, the high level features. I have my modules. Usually then I break it down into convention. Then I break that into feature. So I go a little backwards than most people and most people laugh at me and I just, you know, get my counseling and I'm okay with it. <laughs> so the typical way most people do it though is pure feature and nothing wrong with that. I just like to do a little more, a little more consistency, a little more so- convention mixed. So where I work, like Dan Singh, we do this feature folder stuff, but we also have a different approach for like certain stuff because there's certain pieces, certain directives, certain services that get used everywhere. So it's tough to put them in a feature folder, right? Because they're kind exactly. of they they kind of belong to everyone. So we have um we actually have like a common directory, and yep. inside our, inside our common directory is all the stuff that's going to be used everywhere. And so if you're maintaining a file that's in the common directory, you know, okay, this is used by everybody. I got to be more sensitive with this one than uh, something that was just in my feature folder. Does that make sense? Totally. So that's the one exception to the feature folder that we have kind of embraced. One thing that I'm wondering about, though, is so you have shared code in directives and services typically. Um, you're not going to share a ton between the controllers, per se, or any uh, model setup that you have. But, you know, and your templates may or may not be shared. Do you ever find, though, that you have, for example, on the single-page app, you start working in invoices, so all the invoice stuff comes up, but it a lot of times needs to reach into, you know, payment processing or some other feature. So do you have the overlap, and how do you deal with that? So uh, me personally, I do a lot, a lot along the lines of what Aaron said. If I have a single line of code that I think is going to be shared, then I'll move that out to, uh, you know, a factory or service, whatever's uh, preferred yeah. there and leverage it that way. But yeah, there's definitely some cases where, you know, you, it's not quite as cut and dry on the features. And this feature needs this feature, needs this feature. And what I try to do is abstract as much as I can out into a reusable factory or service. And that way it's not nearly as difficult to deal with. So I'm going to add to what Dan just said, cause that's what we do, but we kind of take that. I'm, I'm going to use Chuck's example. He just put out there. We have this concept of rich data models. 
And so what we do for every type of, of model we get back from the server, we create a JavaScript class around it. And then our services never return raw JSON. They return these instances of these classes. And so sometimes rather instead of putting that common functionality into a service or a factory, like what Dan's saying, which we do, but sometimes we put it into the data models themselves so that if you're using the same data model in the invoicing screen as you are in the like accounts payable screen in this, you know, metaphor we made or this imaginary app we made up, sometimes you can extract the data into the, into a rich data model into a JavaScript class rather than forcing it out into a service that gets injected two places. So what's the trade-off there? What's the trade-off between putting it in the model versus putting it in the service? Cause it seems like there are probably good cases for each. Yeah. And then that's the thing. You have to figure out what it is. The one thing, the reason that we, we've totally embraced rich data models and putting a lot of logic into those is because they're plain old JavaScript objects. So or we have a model system that is completely, it doesn't care if we're using Angular 1 or 2 or React. Like it doesn't care because they're just JavaScript objects. They're not Angular cached objects or, you know what I'm saying? Like, so a lot of our code is just in raw JavaScript. It, it's not tied to a framework, which in Angular land, who cares? Cause we're all doing Angular, but it does give you some, like when we port to 2.0, we're expecting that that will make the port easier. I would agree. I think that's yeah, actually yeah. Uh, a nice way to abstract out, you know, and you're kind of framework, framework agnostic, if you will. And so speaking of abstractions, actually, I'll just chime in here real quick is that I found that there's kind of a, a pretty good process in terms of from going like very local from a controller to kind of this process of promoting your data so that it becomes available to your application on a level that makes sense. So a lot of times I may just start by putting, you know, the data or the functionality that I need right in a controller. But then once I realize like, oh, maybe a directive within my feature or maybe another controller within my feature needs that data, then I'll promote it to a service within just that feature. But then from there you can say, oh, well, this other feature needs it. Then from there you just keep promoting it. So then you promote that into a common into your common directory and then make it available. And then I think even, you know, interestingly enough is you could even then promote it to a rich model where it's just generic JavaScript so yep. that it gets, you know, is now it's available not only to Angular, but anything else that wants to consume it. And so there's this kind of this local to global kind of process that you can go through by just promoting it as you need it without prematurely like optimizing that data structure, that functionality before you actually need it somewhere else. I think that yeah. what Lucas described is exactly what I've seen. It kind of grows into it. You don't know that you're going to have this insanely rich model, but then all of a sudden you realize it, so you promote it into that. You know what I'm saying? It's all so, refactoring. You know, it's, it's yep. like doing a database. You start out with something, and then you realize, ah, oh, I need this because, I don't know, maybe you didn't know all the features up front, which is, that never happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Those type of things. Yeah. So, so let me throw a, a scenario out there because um, it sounds like this is right along the lines of what we're talking about. But uh, let's say, for example, that we have a podcasting site that hosts multiple podcasts. And uh, I find <laughs> that I'm making the same request to the API <laughs> endpoint like five times when I load the page. So should that be something that's moved out into a service? I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I have, when it comes to things like business rules, and this isn't going to what Aaron said, because that takes it to a whole nother level, mm-hmm. but just talking pure kind of angular. Did I say that right, by the way? I actually had somebody criticize how I say the word angular. 
Apparently, I'm pronouncing right to me. it wrong. <laughs> Somebody literally got all upset at me on YouTube. It's a little bit Phoenixy for me, man. <laughs> Is it Phoenixy for you? Okay, I don't know. I'll, I'll work on it. Yeah, it starts with an A, Dan. <laughs> it's not rang- Rangerer? Rangerer. Rutro, Ren. No, I literally had somebody get all upset at me. He's like, you got to learn how to pronounce. I'm like, okay, sorry, man. Yeah, you're going to lose did business. You, did you just yeah. say Angerler? Because that's what I heard. Angerer. Yeah, that's what I Anger-ler. said. Angerler. Anyway, when it comes to thinking of it from, from a pure angular perspective, I... Uh, like to think in terms of reuse. And so, yeah, Charles, I actually have what I call data service. I did this a long time before Angular, Angular. Now I'm all conscious about it. <laughs> um, I did this a long time before and I used to have these little JavaScript objects that are just, you know, reusable objects. Doesn't matter if it was, you know, Java or Ruby or .NET or whatever. I do the same thing there. There you build these little reusable objects and they just return promises, maybe tweak the data, you know, with a then or something. But yeah, then you, you know, get tons of reuse. So I don't ever put my AJS calls or anything like that in my controllers. I like to break all that out. Yep. Oh, that's, so, that's really cool. I, so I like the read, idea. Sorry. When you read kind of the, like the, the leading style guides, Chuck, like from John and from Todd, mm-hmm. they have points where they say to do what Dan's saying, which is don't put HTTP in your controller. Only like always abstract that out into a factory because like for testability, there's a lot of reasons why and and they put on the on the style guides why you do that, but there's a lot of reasons why you don't do HTTP straight into controller. Yeah, makes sense. It just seems like the examples that you get into when you first get started, they put it there, and it's mostly a convenience thing, not because it's the right way to do it. Well, so let me jump in here. Going back to that process that I talked about is, I think sometimes developers can get paralyzed of like, oh. I've got this thing and I don't know what to do and, you know, where do I start is I don't think there's anything wrong with starting in the controller. Like a lot of times I'll even just mock my data out. But when you understand how to promote that, then, you know, you kind of follow that dictum of make it work, make it right, then make it fast. And so, you know, I would say, you know, once you understand the promotion processes, it's fine to start at the controller, but ultimately that's not where you're going to want to end up on yeah, I'll give you a real life example. So I have somebody just today, actually, there's a, a lady somewhere in the world who she's doing one of my Angular courses online and she has been going very deep <laughs> into, you know, tweaking the samples I give and then doing her own thing. And that's exactly what's been happening is she, she started with kind of putting everything in the controller and then I'll say, well, you know, that's good. You got it working, but now consider this. And I think once you know, people, especially if they're newer to AngularJS, that they understand the role of factories and services and even know the difference between those. That really changes everything because you can, you can start off, like you said, Lucas, it, don't get paralyzed about it. Just build something. I always laugh when people get all hung up on some of this stuff, like the folders, because it's like, do you really think my mom gives a crap? <laughs> you know, when she hits your app, we're the only ones that care. And it's from a, a maintenance standpoint. So. Which brings up an interesting point is that I think that the requirements for a good file structure is the same as actually writing just good code, is that it should be easy to maintain, easy to extend, and it should be in a part like self-documenting. And so I find that my file structure actually matches my code structure internally. And I think that's the most important part is not being religious per se, but finding something that you know kind of 
is conducive to writing good code and facilitates that and being productive and maintaining your code, extending your code, etc. So it's almost the requirements for a good structure is the same requirements for good code itself. Yeah, I think, and you already mentioned, I think Chuck mentioned it, or Aaron, one of you guys, you know, for those listening that are maybe newer to this and you are feeling a little bit paralyzed, you know, number one, do what Lucas said, don't be. But number two, go check out, you know, John Papa style guide. Uh, what is it? GitHub.com slash John Papa. Yeah, um, we'll put yeah, a link in the You'll show find notes. it. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there. And then Todd, how do you say his last name? Motto? Is that, is that right? Todd Moto. Moto. I, I, okay. I, I call him Todd Moto. I call okay. him Tomato. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That works too. Anyway, he has one. As he well likes that one most. Does he? Nice. He told me. <laughs> There's some things that, you know, I read in those and I don't agree with every single thing. And that's the whole purpose of a style guide, though, is it just gives you some things to at least consider. And the way I view it is I try to make all my code as dumb as possible. And what I mean by that is this kind of ages me a little bit, but. You know, back in the day when we used to have like, and I didn't work on these just in case anybody uh, brings it up my age or something. I'm not that old, but you know, anyone that ever worked with like punch cards back in the day, which what I a hear dinosaur. You, yeah, I never did. <laughs> I, I honestly never did. But you know, they used to have these kind of mainframe terminals and they were really dumb. And that's how I like to think of the dumb, meaning that they relied on something else to actually get the data. And that's how I think of my controllers is I want to make them as kind of dumb as possible, at least in the end. Like Lucas, you said, uh, you know, starting out, they maybe aren't quite so dumb, if you will. But in the long run, that's what I like to do is kind of make them very ignorant of where the business rules are or where the Ajax stuff is or whatever. It's so funny because uh, I've had this conversation about Rails and about iOS. And, you know, so to have it come up here is just funny, you know, the idea of the skinny controllers, you know, where you put, all of the logic somewhere else and the controller's job is just to basically get a request and coordinate the response. Yep. Skinny controller is probably a more politically correct way. Dumb controller probably won't go over as well. So uh, the same idea, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's the exact same idea. I think it, it just makes it, you know, when we went going back to that scenario where you asked Chuck about what if this feature X needs, you know, feature Y or whatever. Well, you know, if you start hard coding all that stuff in your, your controllers, then it's pretty hard to reuse that across controllers um, versus yeah. if you start, uh, what'd you call it, Lucas, uh, promoting, I think you called yep. it. You start promoting, and now all of a sudden you get some reuse. And I see that uh, my good buddy John Popper, you on now, John? And he just had to move somewhere else. The guy's oh, like the wind. Just as I said it, <laughs> he had to move. <laughs> He's yeah. like, Dan's going to say something to me. I need to move. He's like, like avoiding a punch. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I, I, I really like what you said, Lucas, is, uh, cause I, man, I, when I first start frameworks, I get into that like paralysis by analysis mode cause I just want to do it right. I'm really anal that way and I want it to be right. And I think that's the wrong approach to take when you're new to this. I would say learn the, what I call Lego blocks first. Just build some out. Like you said, prototype them. And then you can start to promote and refactor. And, you know, that's, that's the whole fun of code is as you write your tests and all that, you're going to be moving stuff around that. If you're not, you're probably doing it wrong. Yep. Plus one. Plus so one. when you're, you guys are talking about skinny controllers, one of the things I think about a lot is kind of the controller is the, the hub of the application. It, it's really, which is almost a misnomer because it's, it's the brains of your app in Angular and it's the one that makes you, Think about, okay, how am I going to talk to the view? How am I going to talk to a factory or service? You know, where do I plug into all this other stuff inside of Angular? 
But in the same sense, that makes it sound like it's really thick and heavy, but it's not, right? It's it's skinny. It's really just the hub that connects all these things together. Is is that how yep. you look at it, Dan? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I look at the scope or your, you know, if you're doing controller as your behind the scenes scope, if you will, as the, uh, you know, it's the views model, which coming from some of the background John and I have done, we call it the view model. Yep. And uh, it is literally just, you know, it's the data for the view plus any interactions such as, you know, button clicks. The controller then knows how to fill that thing with data, but it doesn't know the specifics of how to fill it. It knows how to depend on some other things like, you know, a factory service or Aaron mentioned these kind of rich data models even. I just see it as an air traffic controller, if you will, of, you know, the view sends, you know, a command to the controller like, hey, this thing happened. Then the controller will, if it involves kind of, you know, basically your data model or state within your data model, it will defer to a service, which will perform that business logic and then send back a, a data model or a data object to the controller so that the controller can then, you know, basically update the view. But it really is just very small, very specific, and it's just kind of coordinating between the view and the rest of the app. I like that air traffic controller. That's actually, uh, yeah, it's a coordinator. So I want to change topics a little bit here and talk about views and templates because it seems like there are some views, you know, especially in single page apps where it almost basically replaces the entire page. And then there are others where it just replaces part of the page and others where you have some directive that creates a widget off of a template and others that are reused to make a list of things or to build a table. How do you organize all of that stuff? What I like to do personally with views is, um, you know, where you put them in the folders. We've already kind of gone through the, the whole feature convention, blended, whatever. So I won't go back into that, but I don't know that it matters as much for the views because I like to, uh, I have a, you know, a gulp task, ng, what's it called? ng template, I think. And, you know, it, it takes your templates and extracts them out and puts them into a script. So you can just load them as a script. And that way the, uh, client, isn't having to go grab every single template from the server every time. Not that that's bad, but I just think that, you know, you can pre-cache at least the common templates that you know people are probably going to hit. And then uh, that could include the baby view ones. I call them the baby views. I think that's what you're kind of meaning. And you're talking about where you place replace parts of a page, right? Mm -hmm. Parts of a view? Yeah. Yeah, so in AngularJS out of the box, I think that's where the new router is going to help a lot. And that's why a lot of people use, you know, UI router. But ng-include works really well, of course, for loading the kind of what I call baby views, you know, a view within a view. But, of course, the built-in router as of, like, today, which will hopefully be changing soon, but as of today, you know, it doesn't have a great way to load a view in a view. And that's where you get into, like I said, UI router and states, and you can kind of have routes within routes, if you will. And and that's where uh, the new router, which their word on the street, is still being backported to one dot three or whatever the next version will be, will, I think, offer a lot of value. Because that's probably, if I had to pick on Angular on what don't I like, you know, there's a few things, but uh, I mean, overall, I love it. But that's one of the number one things I, I don't like is the router compared to some of the others out there, you know, Embers or Durandals even, is not quite powerful enough when it comes to loading those little baby views. And you can work around it. But what people end up doing if you use the native router, and you guys can chime in here, is, you know, they'll load a view, which is really just a wrapper around those, what I'll call baby views, which is not nearly as efficient as it would be if you could just l reload a little kind of portion 
of the overall view. So, Dan, one of the things I get in discussions with a lot lately is about, let's say you've got a view. And could that view be done through an ng-include? It could be done through a UI view or an ng-view. Uh, it could also be done as inline code, as an if, as a switch, or you could just make the whole thing a directive. So, and that latter one's the one I've been hearing more about lately where everything becomes a directive. And I feel good about that, but I also feel that could also be a horrible pitfall because you can end up with like directives that refer to directives that refer to directives that refer to, and you get the idea. So <laughs> a DDO of a DDO of a DDO. Yeah. I mean, how do you maintain that kind of a thing when you've got, you know, it reminds me of the days we had Uber, we had seven levels of object inheritance and it was like, how do you debug this thing? But I can see the attraction to it as well. I mean, what have, what have you seen out there that works and what doesn't work? Can I ask real quick, how many layers do you get before it's an indirection or an indirective? <laughs> nice. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, rah, rah, rah. You guys have sound effects on this show? Nope. No, nope. <laughs> it's just usually Lucas. Lucas. Lucas is our sound effect. <laughs> Lucas. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so first off, and, and this, John knows this of me very well because we talk fairly often. I'm not a uh, letter of the law guy at all. I'm one of those kind of spirit of the law guys. So my general take is use what works for your team. You know, um, I, I just, I mentioned this earlier. I just get a good laugh out of these people that, you know, if you're not doing it this way, it's wrong. It's like, who the heck said that was the only way, man? Because there's just too many ways. Now, yeah, there's some best practices, of course. But when it comes to what you asked about, I personally, I'm totally fine with ng-include. If it's just loading, you know, a, a view such as a maybe a header portion or a footer portion or a reusable uh, list of items or something you use across multiple views, just using ng include. I mean, that's what it's for and it works pretty dang well in most cases. But if you need more flexibility and you've got to tweak the data that comes in and out of that or whatever, then I could totally see the attraction to uh, maybe even a reusable directive, kind of like ng include, right? But your own that has some you know, little tweaks that you need over and over and over. And so my thing is, that, hey, if I find myself needing to make these tweaks over and over and over, then yeah, I probably would look at a, a directive or something like that. But if I'm just loading a view, it's like, why go to the trouble of having that wrapper around your, you know, view when you could just use the built-in directive, ng-include? Yeah, so, I, I kind of agree with you there. I mean, what I've usually done is I usually start with an ng-include for static type of linking, like, you know, footer, header, sidebar, stuff like that. And then if it becomes more reusable, I wrap it into a directive. But the main view itself, what I call the content area, I usually start out with just making it a view, whether it's UI view or NG view. And then I drop in directives on that. But I've, I've hesitated from taking the view itself and making it its own directive. So that's kind of where I usually draw the line personally. But I'm with you. If whatever works for your team is key. I think consistency in a team is really, really important. Not always doing it the perfect way, but doing it the way that the other 50 people you're working with are doing it. Which is the way that John does it. Yeah, that's what he tells me at least. So I totally agree with what John just said. I think that the everything is a controller movement is different than this. I think that the everything is a controller is kind of everyone realizing, oh, Scope inheritance isn't good. Like, it's not awesome. So if we make everything a directive with its own isolate scope, then we can kind of stop people putting a method on a parent controller and using it two controllers deeper. Because that that's, yes. for me, a huge anti-pattern. And so I think that everything a directive idea is more to prevent that kind of rubbish than it is to say to 
enable like when we'll load stuff. But yeah, uh, that, I that's my like, take. I agree with you totally, Aaron. And I think I'm really kind of trying to put myself in the shoes of people who do that directive inside a directive, you know, that Russian stacking doll syndrome. And what I think sometimes people get into that for is if you do that route, first of all, it helps you reuse code. So that's a great advantage of it. But if you come from other environments where everything became a component, like user controls inside of user controls, that's kind of the same methodology. The problem I end up seeing with it, though, is maintaining it. For example, yeah. I recently got something that had seven layers of directives in it, and I called it the seven layers of directives hell, and one of my teammates was like, really? Dude, that sounds bad. And I, I was it trying is bad. To, <laughs> I was trying to explain how it worked, and I partially wrote it, and I couldn't even explain how it worked to somebody. So that's where I started realizing maybe I over-architected this a little. But I'd like to hear the other side of it. Does anybody here do that? Because I don't want to say it's a bad thing, because I don't truly understand what the huge pros of it are either. Well, if I could propose an alternate uh, solution to this that I've had good luck with is when you have kind of this complex visual hierarchy, instead of actually turning it into a bunch of directives, because I definitely think there's a place for that is, you know, is it a component? Are we going to reuse it in other places? Which is, you know, you can really run into some problems with, you know, these nested, you know, kind of directive dolls, if you will, is that another way to handle this is with, UI router and treating it as a state machine. And especially with their named views, it allows you to provide, you know, very granular and specific control over parts of the page. And then you treat it as, instead of this composition of directives, rather as a state machine that I'm in this state and these are the views that I want to use. These are where I want them to be. And then you can as well control, you know, what data gets resolved into those views based on, you know, some kind of state and really do some really elegant things within your view and you're not having to use directives to kind of accomplish the same thing. I think maybe we have a topic for a future show. <laughs> I think we do. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that one could go a lot deeper for sure. It could, yeah. and I think even discussing UI router and NG router and then the new proposed router that they're coming down should be something we should get into a little deeper as well. Yeah, my uh, thing on all this is keep it simple. And that doesn't mean it won't get hard by keeping it simple, but when I first came out of college and started uh, one of my first jobs, I built an app that you know I was all proud of because it was actually pretty complex. Like you said, John, it's one of those you look at that I wrote it, and I, I couldn't even really like figure out what it was doing anymore. And I'll never forget, it went down in production, and this is back in the 90s, so it was you know a long time ago, but back then, logging and all that was still a, uh, nobody had heard of it. <laughs> we did, but not very well. And it was like a needle in a haystack trying to debug the stupid thing. So ever since then, I always take the, hey, what's the easiest way we can do this, but yet, you know, the most flexible way. You know, it doesn't mean, like we were talking about, use ng-include for everything. It doesn't mean use a UI router for everything. It means find the proper balance. And I think every team, as you said, John, needs to sit down and, and have a discussion on what works best for us for whether it's folders or laying out the files or doing what we just talked about or whatever it is. Exactly. And I think that's why probably the best tip is to, for your team, sit down and do this and create your team's style guide. Your team has to have yep. your own one that you guys all live with, whether it's a five-person team or a hundred-person team. Absolutely. Yep. Makes sense. Anything else that we would be remiss to not cover before we get into the picks? 
Well, since it was on, uh, you know, the topic of generally structuring Angular applications and things like that, you know, I've already mentioned John's style guide. And if you haven't checked that out, everyone out there listening, you definitely need to, or Todd's as well. There's tons of good, like, why this is better than this. And for the teams that might be sitting down to, you know, take the time to make their own little style guide, that would be a great way to actually get a really solid foundation. You may not agree with everything. There's about, you know, 90% of what John wrote that I'm like, what's he talking? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, you know, there's, there's some stuff in there that I totally agree with. And there's some stuff I tweak a little bit. And I think everybody does that. But if you don't take the time to read through it, I guarantee, especially if you're newer to this, you'll never even have thought of a particular scenario on why you should do it. You know, for instance, if you've been doing JavaScript a long time, it's pretty natural to do immediately invoked, you know, function expressions and all that type of stuff. But if you haven't, you might not even thought of doing that. And that's one of the things, you know, John covers in the style guide. You can go to, it's jpapa.me slash ngstyles is the easiest way to get there. And anyway, uh, he'll walk through a lot of the different things you can do. And I, again, as a team would sit down just like you would with really any language Say, hey, here's how we're going to structure our modules. Here's how we're going to structure our controllers and our factories. And here's where the reusable ones go and figure out the fuller thing. And yeah, it's going to take some discussions. And I guarantee there's probably going to be some arguments because, you know, developers, luckily, we're not opinionated at all. So everybody will just agree, right? But, you know, in reality, once you get done, you're going to have a nice foundation. And now if you do what I mentioned earlier, have to hire, whether it's contractors or new hires or somebody goes on vacation or whatever it is, and you got to step in and fix it, you should now not walk into someone else's app and go, what the, you know, like, what is this? You should walk in and go, okay, that looks like mine. um, If you're on the same team anyway. All right. Very cool. Let's go ahead and get to the picks. Aaron, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, I'm going to do a pick real quick. It's anyone who's not opening their store on Thanksgiving. Like, I guess I'm kind of a nerd and don't pay attention to regular news because I saw this commercial where Shields was like, Hey, just so you guys know, we're not opening on Thanksgiving. We want our, we want you and our employees to spend Thanksgiving with their families. And I was like, I'm buying Christmas gifts at Shields this year because I think that's a, a really cool stance to take. So, nice. so yeah, I agree. anyone, anyone who does that, I'm, I'm picking you. Yeah, my wife's a Black Friday nut. And, uh, yeah, so she has plans Thursday night. <laughs> you better um, grab the credit card before she goes out and hide it or something. Oh, it's too late. I think she's already, like, cashed out stuff. <laughs> uh, Lucas, what's your pick? So my pick is if you're in Phoenix on December 13th, come to an event that I am putting together, Holiday JS. So you can go to holidayjs.com. It's a free event, so it's like an Oprah Christmas special for programmers. It's going to be super awesome. Food, hacking, prizes, everything. Very cool. I forgot Andy, to ask you guys for tips. Do you guys have uh, tips you want to share, Aaron and Lucas? UI router is awesome. Learn it, love it, use it. All right. John, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, sure. So my, my tip I'm going to do first for Angular is really an anti-tip. It's uh, going to borrow on something Aaron said, which I firmly agree with, and that's when you're creating directives, I think the de facto, if you don't want to think about it, is go ahead and create a, an isolate scope. So the anti-tip is by avoiding isolate scopes, you're kind of coupling yourself to whatever the outer container is. So my tip is consider using an isolate scope in your directives if you are not already. And then my pick is going to be, I'm going to put the link in here for everybody, it's using Grunt and Bower and NPM and all that stuff right from Visual Studio 2015. 
There's some pretty cool stuff that they've added to it. Uh, and not a lot of folks know, but Visual Studio uh, now has a new free edition called Community. I think it's what it's called. Is that right, Dan? Visual Studio Community yeah, Edition? Yeah, I think so. I think it's Visual Studio Community, yeah, I believe. Yeah. So now you can get all the power of Visual Studio, and it's not like a crippled version. It's the full pro version, basically, the old one called Pro. And uh, it's called Community. You get it for free, and you can do Grunt, Bower, NPM, all this cool stuff right inside Visual Studio now. Yeah, it's actually, even if you're not a Visual Studio fan, I am. I like a lot of editors, actually, not just one. It's impressive. It's all visual, and you can actually see your tasks visually. It's pretty neat. I've been playing with that as well, so pretty cool stuff. Nice. All right, well, I think I got plenty of tips out of this show, so I'm not going to share any there. I do have a pick, and it's another podcast. It's called Life on Fire by uh, Nick Unsworth. It's pretty darn good. He has video versions, and it's a lot about marketing and things like that. So you can go and check that out. I think it's just lifeonfire.com. Dan, do you have a pick and a tip for us? So uh, my tip, Lucas will laugh at this one, is uh, don't depend on a tool like Outlook to cancel meetings. <laughs> because apparently some of those cancellations don't actually make it to the person that you're trying to cancel on. So <laughs> I've had that happen twice actually lately where they everybody's like, hey, we're here. And I'm like, whoa, I canceled, man. No, I never got it. So that's my uh, tip is always, always, always make sure that you uh, send a separate email when you cancel a meeting because two meetings I've had this happen the last two weeks. My pick's probably going to be too late because it's a Black Friday thing. So I'm pretty psyched. I have a uh, new iMac coming, the 4K, and I needed a new copy of Parallels because I, I still run that for the Windows side. And they have a deal going right now for the Black Friday thing, which, like I said, by the time the podcast gets out, it may be too late. But you get like Camtasia and you get a password manager and you get, I don't know, it's like $300 worth of software for the price of just the Camtasia or the uh, Parallels license, which is like 80 bucks. So anyway, that was I was pretty excited about that. So I, of course, had to waste the money and order it. So you did that deal too, Lucas, I see. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a good deal. So uh, if it is still around up through the holiday break, then uh, it's a good deal. Awesome. All right, Aaron, are there any announcements or news about NGConf you want to share? Yeah, I'll just kind of update everyone on the status of the ticket sales because there's a lot of people wondering what's up. So last year we did three rounds of ticket sales, and this year we only did two. So a lot of people are expecting that we have more tickets to sell, and they're hoping that they're going to be able to come. And I just wanted to share the bad news that we don't have more tickets to sell. The ticket sales were crazy. The first round we crashed Tito. I don't know if you guys saw that, but Tito had never seen that much traffic before at one time. And so they... They like worked on their servers and got it ready for round two, and then round two went smoother. Uh, it went mostly smooth. A couple people still had issues, but it was mostly smooth. But uh, needless to say, this year tickets effectively sold out in like one second because as soon as the button was available, we had 25,000 people trying to buy a handful, like way less than that, tickets. So Holy cow. You need to go on tour, Aaron. I know. Like, uh, I, I, some of these bands opening up for concerts. I know. I talked to Igor, and their team can only do two conferences a year. And so getting a tour of NGConf, it's tough because the big draws that everyone wants to see, the Angular guys, the only other yeah. option would be putting together like the biggest names in the Angular community and doing a, a conference without the Angular team, or maybe just one or two of them. I don't know. But yeah, so that's kind of where that's at. It's going to be an insane event. 
Though I wanted to let everyone know, we're working on a program called NGConf Extended, where we want people to sign up to like host remote viewing parties, and we'll work with you to make T-shirts and some sort of like small treats available to the people who come to your event. And we also will work with a few of you to get like a a web camera at your thing, so that you guys can ask questions live at the Q and A at the panel at the end of the conference. So. Stay tuned for news on NGConf Extended because we're going to need some extended organizers all over the globe. We've already got some guys in like Brazil and Mexico wanting to host. So if you want to host, you know, tweet at the NGConf account on Twitter or tweet me. I'm JS underscore dev, JS dev on, on Twitter. So tweet me on there, but and we'll, we'll, we'll make sure you guys get set up as as organizers but cool news dan and john papa and lucas they're actually all three speaking at the event so it's going to be a really cool event yeah i'm excited it was awesome last year so for those that didn't get tickets definitely watch all this stuff aaron's talking about because i'm telling you, it was i would have to say it's the coolest conference i've been to in the last like 10 years probably so true story they did bro. A good job yeah they did a really good job this year's going to be even better i mean nice I'm not trying to brag but it the planning we're putting into it is pretty awesome. It's going to be cool. Awesome. Very cool. Well, if there's nothing else, then we'll go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for coming, Dan. It was fun to talk. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll end the show. We'll catch you all next week. Peace. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.